Hello and welcome to the Weekly Real Podcast. My name is Ken. And my name is Jeremy. And this week, now we have become death. The destroyer of podcasts. No, just I'm just kidding. I, I just wanted to kind of even <laughs> out Jeremy's preview from last <laughs> week because it was so peppy. I wanted to kind of start it off on a more darker note. Because, I mean, the subject matter that we will be covering is kind of on the dark side. And we're not talking about Star Wars today. Uh, but we will be talking about Christopher Nolan's latest movie from 2023, Oppenheimer. But before we get into Oppenheimer, Jeremy, let's welcome back to the podcast, Jacob. Jacob. It is good to be back. <laughs> it's been a long time no see, man. I don't even know how long it's been. A whole like seven days, I think. Dude, like I think about a week or something. Just yeah. I think I even saw you like a few days ago. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. It's crazy, man. We're, I'm glad we're, to be back for my uh, second week in a row yeah. to help you guys uh, finish off this season. Yeah, has that ever uh, happened? I don't think back so. to back guess. Have you, same guess? Jacob? I have not back to back. Three P. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this, is, this is the finale of the season. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> just like just like Jeremy just mentioned, this is our season six finale. Obviously, we'll do all the bells and whistles later on in this episode. But guys, you know we got a lot to cover today. I mean, we are covering a three hour epic. Um, so guys, let's get right into the soup du jour. Uh, what's the soup du jour again? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked, Jeremy, because it's the soup of the day. Huh. Sounds good. I'll have that. Mm, I thought you might. And so um, for this week's soup du jour, we will be bringing back a classic. It's like chick- our version of chicken noodle soup, uh, where we talk about one notable movie or TV show that we've watched in the past week. Um, and you know what, Jacob? Because... You're here. Uh, normally, we uh, have me or Jeremy go first. I mean, you're a pro now. And literally, we found out what you've been watching last week. What have you been watching since? Well, actually, I'm going to start with a little uh, continuation off of what I said from last week. With, uh, <laughs> hijack. Okay. I did watch another episode, and it's going strong. Just oh. letting you know, Ken, especially for okay. as you progress through that series. Um, but in terms of a notable movie or TV show from this past week that I did not mention last week, uh, one thing I did watch was Stephen Curry's new documentary called Underrated. And nice. I have to say that it's it overrated. is very, very good. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> underrated is overrated. But it's good. The documentary is it's good. good. It is good. It uh, outlines his... Uh, his days at Davidson. And honestly, the amount of footage that they had from when he was very young was sur- like very surprising to me. Like whoever his dad was probably like, you know what? This guy's going to be great. Let's record him now. <laughs> Cause they have a lot of just raw footage from a long time ago, which was, was a uh, cool to see. And uh, just how to see that all like come together and blend together. And then it called also paralleled with the uh, championship run in 2022 which uh, was also a special thing to see. So I definitely uh, recommend that to anybody that is a basketball fan 
and especially a Warriors fan. Like myself. And I did yes. watch it. I mean, it's oh, not the did? thing that I will share for the Zoop Du Jour, but <laughs> just to add to what Jacob was talking about, it seemed like all the footage was caught in 40, 480p, like right. and probably uh, recorded on D- Remember those DV tapes? <laughs> yeah, it's not that old though, right? No, because it was yeah. like mid 2000s, mid to late yeah. 2000s, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. I remember because I had a DV camcorder. <laughs> oh man. Those <laughs> Good old times. <laughs> Brought back some memories. It did, but I love the I love the production kind of going back and forth between, uh, just like you said, kind of like life in twenty twenty two, with his mm-hmm. you, you know family life and um, kind of going back to when he was still in Davidson. Right. Very cool. Definitely watch it. And where where can they watch it? Oh, I wonder where you can stream it. Let's go with Apple TV Plus. Yes. Oh, nice. Not sponsored, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, what not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yes. Come on, Tim. <laughs> Tim Apple, we, we mentioned it last week. We, we still want that sponsorship. All right, <laughs> Jeremy, what have you been watching in the last week? I'm going to continue with the basketball theme. I'm continuing The Last Dance. So, Whoa, you're yeah, watching it. I nice. am watching it now. It's good. It's, it's really good, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm in episode three right now, talking about Dennis Rodman in a little bit after talking mm-hmm. about Scottie Pippen. There's it's it's good. I like it. I have some nitpicks about like some of the structure sometimes. Like mm. there's a lot of times I know like we we love Michael Jordan. He's the greatest of all time. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like talking about Dennis Rodman and all of a sudden we're talking about Michael Jordan again. Um, I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's a Michael Jordan doc. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> man, they're really heavy. Like always could see like. Freaking MJ's like magic, and mm-hmm. the the freaking footage that they have of that, holy crap! Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Ten episodes. I'm like, whoa, holy crap! This is insane. But yeah, yeah. three episodes in. Yeah, this nice. is what what was carrying us during the pandemic because this got released <laughs> shortly after lockdown in April of 2020. That's true. Oh man, I saw. I remember dissecting this whole doc. I actually recently rewatched the whole thing. And because uh, I, I think Jeremy and I were considering ta- uh, covering the movie that came out uh, earlier this year called Air. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. after I watched Air, I wanted to kind of get to that. Spoiler alert, Jeremy. They get to that part of his journey, you know, when they talk about the sneakers. I won't tell you which episode, but mm-hmm. it gets better. So if you're liking mm-hmm. it now, it gets better. Oh, okay. That's good. Because I love all of, like the the modern stuff, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like those are probably my favorite scenes, just because yeah. there's so much drama happening. Yeah. But yeah, when they flash back to like you know the setup of everything, I think mm-hmm. that's cool too. Right. Yeah. Hey Jacob, did you uh, end up watching The Last Dance before? Or I did start it, but I actually have not finished it. <gasps> I started it, uh, like you said, when it came out during the pandemic, and I did start it, got through a few episodes, but I didn't finish it. And I'm actually wanting to just restart it from the beginning and just watch it straight through. You should. So I will I will do that soon, but I'm not sure when yet exactly. Especially if you're a uh, basketball fan. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. the only people that would not enjoy watching The Last Dance are LeBron fans. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm a huge Steph Curry fan, but before that, when I was still younger, I was a huge MJ fan. MJ still mm. the goat. I understand that definitely. Yeah, but uh, where can um, I guess people stream The Last Dance? I guess I'm watching it currently on Netflix. Mm, yeah. Sponsored. Still We're bringing back the the old school jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to, you got to. <laughs> we got to bring it back. Um, for me, um, I did catch a brand new movie. So, in addition to what uh, Jacob mentioned, Steph Stephen Curry underrated. Um, I also yesterday we're recording this on a tuesday july 25th i took yesterday off i wasn't planning on i was actually planning to be out of town uh plans did not materialize so i had an extra free day to finally do the barbenheimer uh double feature so i actually did that and so the movie that i will share here in a very quick review because we're not covering barbie which Mm -hmm. is the movie that i'm sharing with you it's horrible it was actually just kidding. I don't really know. good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I had no expectations. Um, I was try- obviously with uh, both Oppenheimer and Barbie being released on the same day. I was just trying to stay away from spoilers because I knew eventually I'd watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no expectation. I thought it was going to be obviously not geared towards me. And I was right in that regard. Uh, but even if it wasn't, it kind of was because. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> the the movie's all about Barbie and Ken. Not me, but Ken. You should have was... appeared in the movie just as a cameo. I know. Just have a, like a podcast microphone. You know, mm-hmm. he's the he's the Ken that podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been perfect. The podcaster Ken. <laughs> but yeah, there. Um, I'm gonna give a minor spoiler. Uh, there's a song called "I'm Just Ken" that's just um stuck in my head. <laughs> it was <laughs> epic. Uh, I was mentioning it to the guys offline. I was like, this is going to rival Peaches in terms of song of the year, movie song of the year. I don't know what the original song is. That is that the category? I probably hmm. well, it has to be original. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't realize there are so many uh, Ken puns that they would uh, come out with. And so here's a quick lyric from I'm just Ken. It goes, I'm just Ken. Anywhere else, I'd be a 10. <laughs> because he's just like literally always been just number two, I guess. Uh, you know, obviously to Barbie. And uh, later on in the song, it goes, Can you feel the Kennergy? <laughs> feel so real, I guarantee. <laughs> and a very, very minor spoiler. Um, there's this one sweater, one hoodie that I want to uh, eventually get. It says, I am Kenneth. <laughs> Wow, is it in pink? It is. It's like pink tie dye. I'd probably <laughs> still get it. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> oh man! But um, quick review out of three thousand. Um, let me do some quick math. Uh, I w- on the I love you three thousand three thousand full three. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, I, I don't know why I try to uh, pretend that I was gonna do math or whatever, <laughs> but um. What the heck? I'm giving it a three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 2250. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie. 2250, uh, which is about 75%. I really like the movie. So, Dang, Jake, um, we got to go watch it. It has its Definitely. flaws. Don't get me wrong, but it was just super entertaining. If you kind of go in like that and knowing that mm-hmm. it's not really geared towards us, because obviously. It's not. 
It's not. Um, and I accept that. It's yeah. still a really good movie. So um, just want to mention that. Um, I'm excited to see that. You should. You should. You should do a Barbenheimer um, double feature. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to wait till both of those are uh, streaming. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but uh, before we move on with the rest of this episode, Jeremy, um, we have some socials that we would like to plug, especially since we're about to go on hiatus, right? Yep. Uh, first is our TikTok, actually, which is at Weekly Real Pod. That's where you'll get some bonus content, obviously, short form videos and all that stuff on TikTok. It's like I'm explaining TikTok to people. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you're, so, you're so active. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so active and so like, I don't even have TikTok on my phone right now. But when you show when you send me stuff, I, it's like through the browser. Anyway, right. um, movie and TV reviews on our TikTok as well. We will be we'll be more active. I promise. Again, yes. off season time, and so uh, I'll probably toss in actual reviews on there um, shortly. So, uh, but we also have another social media account, right? Yes, it's Instagram. That's going to be at Weekly Real, and that's when you'll get all up-to-date announcements, podcast links, recast reels on there. Um, and yeah, you'll see like all our announcements when we would come back, because uh, you know, Ken said we're going on, like Ken said, we're going on hiatus, so uh, all announcements will be posted on Instagram. Yes. Instagram at Weekly Real, TikTok at Weekly Real Pod. All right, guys, the moment of truth. Uh, before we talk specific, let's issue the spoiler warning now. Uh, if you haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, um, definitely go see it in a very large format. Uh, if you're if you live next to one of the 19 IMAX 70 millimeter theater screens, I recommend it. Even though I really haven't gotten a chance to go see it myself, but eventually I will. I've seen it twice. I'm special. Uh, I'm reserving that third screening. Hopefully. At Metreon, because mm. I live in the Bay Area. So hopefully um, soon. I'm just waiting out the the rest of the crowd that hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, this week, guys, we talk about the father of the atomic bomb. Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of this podcast? Yes, for our season six finale, we will be talking about the latest Christopher Nolan film, Oppenheimer 2023. So again, this is out in theaters. Watch it in the largest screen possible. And fellas, let's get right into the double feature. So quick reminder, I have a question. The fellas don't know what I'm going to ask. Jeremy has a question. And we don't know what he's going to ask. So, I mean... This is a different kind of double feature than the Barbenheimer double feature. So let's get right into it. So for my half of the double feature, the Barbie uh, side of it, uh, <laughs> my question to you, it's, does, it doesn't need any setup. If you could highlight one aspect of Oppenheimer, the film, that you loved the most, what would it be? I'll mention a, a few of them, but you can come up with your own... Uh, you could do. You can say the cast, the directing, writing, cinematography, original score, or anything else. Jeremy, go ahead. All right. So I think I'm like 
I'm going to go with the cast, but more specifically Robert Downey Jr. I feel like I haven't seen him like in a big way since Avengers Endgame. And I don't know which one of you said it. I don't know if it was like Cameron or Jacob or something. But um, I feel like he has that chance to get like best supporting actor. It's Cameron. Uh, it's Cameron. <laughs> yeah, it was Cameron. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, fe- I definitely feel that um, from this movie. And just because at first, like, okay, what's this guy's motivations? Um, the twist at the end where he basically was like, pulling the strings like a puppet master this entire time trying to uh get oppenheimer to be that fall guy for the u.s is pretty insane just kind of ruin his reputation everything's like rigged in that way i think really showed like how crazy like ethics and stuff is plays into this movie yeah he basically um yeah, he basically just um I don't know. It, it I you got to see Robert Downey Jr. act. You know, like for such a long time, especially since we're all three of us are huge fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Iron Man as a character, Tony Stark. I mean, they've just become synonymous with one another. I feel like in Endgame, that was like the most we've gotten to see him act in a long time, like especially in the beginning of Endgame. And, uh, and, and obviously near the end, uh, actually the end, um, <laughs> when the, in his, uh, spoiler alert, his death scene. <laughs> so, um, I feel like you got to see him act without the Tony Stark snark. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but because- still has that charisma. For yes. Sure. Right. Yes. Right. Cause he's, he's just born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. it has to be but yeah going off of uh what you guys were saying i agree like that his performance was definitely i think deserving of an award and in my opinion probably he was like directly involved with some of the most intense scenes of the entire film Mm -hmm. yeah did you want to highlight anyone else in in the cast jeremy yeah, I feel like it's what uh, I think Rami Malik probably was like the most understated character <laughs> in the entire movie. It's just because he didn't talk for like the longest time, and for him to show up in like the courtroom later on to be as like testimony for Oppenheimer, um, I thought that was the, basically the list goes on. Now I was actually surprised of how a little un. I felt like Emily Blunt was actually underutilized in the movie. Agreed. Because I thought she would have a much bigger role, especially, but she had, she did have some good scenes and especially how she like fell in love with him. But later on when he's getting like in that little committee room thing, mm-hmm. it's like, damn, she's like genuinely betrayed by Oppenheimer. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I thought she was, I thought she would have been utilized a bit more. Yeah. Oh. All right, Jacob, your um your turn. What one aspect did you want to highlight as your favorite from Oppenheimer the film? You know, there are definitely a lot of aspects that I found to be just like perfectly executed or almost perfectly executed, but 
one thing that I'm have to I'm gonna have to go with is the original score. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> because like especially for Nolan movies, uh, for me personally, and I know you guys too are both uh, fans of both Hans Zimmer and Ludwig Göransson, who mm-hmm. did the score for uh, Oppenheimer, and just you know the the way that. Ludwig and or Ludwig Göransson and Nolan work together to kind of immerse you in exactly what they want you to feel, whether it's from you know Oppenheimer's perspective or someone else in the movie. They just do a great job of like combining their both of their specialties. Obviously, Nolan being a director and Göransson being the the composer to just really make you feel what. They feel what they want to uh, make that scene feel like. If, yeah, you, you know, know I, mean? I would I would liken this score to maybe Batman Begins with Hans Zimmer because there's yes. so many like themes and feelings. I think because later on in some of the Nolan stuff, it's like a lot of it's brah, brah, and all that stuff, right? But I feel like this is the most like di- pretty diverse amount of feelings, like and. It also reflects like the time period that it was set into right. some of the instruments that uh, Ludwig used in that in this movie, and yeah, I mean it does sound like Tenet sometimes, <laughs> but it does man, you know I think um, Nolan very like he likes a certain sound to his movies, so right. I'm sure that's just like directing musical directing on his part too. And then going into my first viewing, because I did watch the movie twice, uh, just like Ken did. Um, But going into my first viewing, I had seen uh, some of the stuff that they've been posting on YouTube to kind of like, you know, build the marketing campaign for the movie itself. And uh, one of them was where they talked about um, how they, how Goranson and Nolan worked together to, you know, make the score. And one thing that they mentioned was um, that, Nolan wanted the violin to be like the major instrument of the score itself. And then, so when I went into the first viewing, I really tried to listen for it. And I don't know, for some reason that kind of like just made it a little more clear to me, like what they're trying to portray for like a specific scene. Agreed. Um, Mm -hmm. That violin uh, is perfect just because you know the time period that it does take place from the 30s 40s 50s into the early 60s 60s i guess mm-hmm. uh, it's it just conveys um that time period really well i remember watching obviously you know when you're watching it the first i for me i like to experience everything for the first time i remember after my first uh screening opening night starting with Friday and through the weekend, I was listening to the soundtrack a a good amount so that when I did my Barbenheimer um, double feature yesterday, oh my goodness, I was surprisingly even more immersed just because I was familiar with the songs, the feelings of the songs, Mm -hmm. and I felt the emotions that they were trying to convey um, when each of the scenes were playing out. So, Jeremy, listening to the soundtrack right before uh, <laughs> you watch it a second time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely been listening to it. I got to, like, favorite my favorite songs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I can listen to that no skips. Uh, it's, it's such a good soundtrack. So, good. so 
all the way around. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jacob, because I was going to mention it if you weren't going <laughs> to. <laughs> One of us um, had to. Exactly, exactly. Um, for me, um, I got to give it up to Christopher Nolan. I mean, we're a huge Christopher Nolan fan, so I'll say the directing. The way he goes out of his way to film everything without any CG and everything's pretty much practical. Um, and Jacob, it, it seems like you probably did uh, more research than maybe me and Jeremy have um, mm-hmm. as far as like the behind the scenes stuff. And so you could correct me if I'm wrong, but especially during the Trinity test and when they did the uh, practical explosion, obviously they couldn't mm-hmm. do a nuclear explosion because <laughs> I feel like that'd be a threat, <laughs> threat to national security. Uh, um, but they use like uh, like an actual explosion. They use like different what different items like ping pong balls and stuff to kind of convey what a nuclear like chain reaction would kind of look like. Mm-hmm. And just the just the Trinity test alone, just to see it from different perspectives of each where each group was. Right. You see the bright flashing lights, the attention to detail. And the fact that obviously light travels faster than than sound, so you get the whole atmosphere where it explodes, but you hear nothing. Right. And then that whole thing, and then you see it from the different perspectives, and all of a sudden, boom! And then the uh, different explosions, so it's not as loud uh, the second time around. It's not as loud the third time around from the right. different perspectives. These choices, along with... The way obviously Nolan just his cinematography and the way he edits and plays around with time and obviously it looks like such a throwaway line just kind of going back to Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer's uh, interaction in what 1947 I believe mm-hmm. uh, by the pond and we we literally go through about two hours and 55 minutes worth of runtime or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden we see that same scene in color from the trailer and it just looks like a throwaway scene, but then it ends in such a way where it's just so profound. And uh, just like what Jeremy was talking about, how like these Nolan films always kind of end in this very epic way, whether it's a narration or something profound happening at the end, I was like, Oh my God, Christopher Nolan, (laughs) he's just got it going on in terms of making everything. He's just like a marionette. He just knows what he he wants to do and he does everything practically, which is amazing. Right. I think uh, going off of what you said um, first with the Trinity test, uh, one of the things that I saw was they listed the materials that they used to actually create that big and that kind of explosion to kind of replicate what the atomic bomb would look like. And I can't remember every single item on there, but they had things from like gasoline to um, they said like magnesium to kind of create the spark looks the sparks. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. They had a uh, gunpowder. Uh, they had a couple of other things. I'm not, I'm not quite sure of what, the rest of the exact materials are, but you know, it being Christopher Nolan, he's going to do everything he can. Uh, Like looking, looking back at an interstellar when he built a computer just to process the data to create the black hole. In this case, he found whatever chemicals he needed to recreate that explosion instead of just making it CGI. 
which is definitely, you know, that's what he does. Yeah, because it would be super easy just to do in CGI. And, like, most audiences wouldn't even, like, give a whatever, you know, about it. So, you know, but when you see this movie from, like, 15 years' time, it'll still look good. Oh, yeah. Like, when you watch Nolan movies, they're, they feel very timeless. Like, I could still watch Inception, uh, and that was freaking 13 years ago now. And it still looks like if it was released today, like it would beat out a lot of movies that are released in terms of just how it looks, how it sounds, everything. Yeah, he, he makes sure that he gets everything in camera, which is something I I just respect. Um, I don't know if you saw this one random stat, just because we're, again, recording this end of July and... Uh, the MCU Secret Invasion TV show is ongoing right now. That had a, a budget of $255 million. I'm talking about Secret Invasion, a TV show. Wow. This had a budget of $100 million. And I'm like just blown away with what he can like do with $100 million. Can you imagine yeah. if he actually used up a $255 million budget? That was like Tenet, though, right? <laughs> Tenet was pretty darn expensive. Mm-hmm. I well, did see I- that uh, Killian Murphy's, um, just like from the financial aspect, what he got paid as a percentage of the budget. And I'm not sure if it's the budget that they used or the budget that you said like they projected to to give them. But he got 12% of the entire well, budget. I can see that. Uh, it literally, this movie was on the shoulders of Killian Murphy. If, right. if yeah. his performance didn't work, this movie doesn't work because he literally absolutely murdered this. Um, he destroyed, sorry, he destroyed. <laughs> wow. I have to be, <laughs> he destroyed the role. Um, and he, I don't know. I, I will be rooting for him come Oscar time to win Best Actor. So Yeah, he completely, like when you see him on screen, you're not thinking that's Killian Murphy. It's like, you it's think insane. That's- Dr. J. Robert Oppenheimer. Oppie. Oh, Oppie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was weird. When they started saying that, I was like, oh, okay, we're, we're calling him that now. <laughs> yes, we are. I'm surprised that didn't um, take more into effect during the whole Barbenheimer thing. It's like, yeah. try to use Oppie and in, 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 in Barbie or something. <laughs> or yeah. would it That's very sound true. too similar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guess no one thought of it before. Mm-hmm. All right, for my half of double feature, Ken, you did mention like Christopher Nolan's style of filmmaking, always like messing with editing, playing with time. We love that stuff. So I'm gonna mention, you know, one of the things he's done before in the past with his film Memento was playing with black and white. Mm. So in this movie, he also plays a little bit with black and white, and it's not necessarily like oh. um about time really but correct me if i'm wrong the color scenes are from oppenheimer's perspective and the black and white scenes are more focused from straws straws perspective right yeah so i do want to ask you guys before i give my thoughts of course um what scenes did you have like how do you 
How did you like those scenes? Which scenes did you actually like better? Color versus black and white. Like in just the way it looked or just straight up like quality of scene? Quality of scene. Because I feel Um, like there's some heavy heavy hitters in both. There are some heavy hitters in both. Um, I feel like for me, it'd be the the color scenes is just because um, even though I would have loved to have seen some of the color scenes in black and white, but again, that's the way Christopher Nolan uh, presented it, fission versus fusion. Um, but yeah, just the scenes that were mainly from Oppenheimer's uh, perspective just puts us more into uh, Killian Murphy's head. Um, mm-hmm. Just to right. kind of, just a it gives you a, a glimpse of what it feels like to kind of be in his shoes, Oppenheimer's shoes. And so, um, dude, it was each of the colored scenes were so good. Um, I mean, you're talking about the Trinity test. Uh, yeah, we got the black and white version of, uh, of the Albert Einstein and, uh, Oppenheimer meeting in the beginning, but man, obviously this wraps up at the end. Um, I'll obviously talk about more of that scene later on in this uh, podcast episode, but you get that whole reveal. Um, even like uh, some of the more intense scenes uh, or even, I'm sorry, the more quieter scenes, I should say with like uh, Gene Tetlock and then some of the more f- family-oriented scenes where you get a little bit more of a, um, I don't know, you just get like a a better idea of what life was during that time, but also from a perspective of someone who's like literally trying to create an an atomic bomb for the first time in history. So, Yeah, because if you cut out like half of that, that is basically just telling, it's a very... I guess not in a way simple story. I think I don't think that's the right word, but very linear story for mm-hmm. the color scenes, in my opinion. Yeah, right. Plus the plus the black and white scene you get. Uh, it's more of that courtroom drama yeah. sort of thing, even though it's not technically a courtroom. Yeah, <laughs> they kept saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Have I? Oh, see. So I that that's a tough one. One thing I did want to talk about. I'm gonna dip into the uh, original score again, um, but I don't know if you guys noticed or or just it was kind of in the back of your head. But during the color scenes, I feel like we mostly get scores that are kind of uh, like tensiony, very like very tension. Or there's a lot of tension, but not in the case of like intensity, but tension in like your moral choices and how those collide and it's like an entire gray area. You're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to put this into words, but do you guys understand what I'm saying by that? Hmm. (laughs) Like (laughs) kind of. So it's It's like like in the color scenes, since we are from Oppenheimer's perspective in those scenes, the, the score seems to be like, there's a lot of, um, like moral battles that Oppenheimer is facing. Like you can see that it's like trying to be very uplifting, but also at the same time trying to be very like ominous. And I see what you're saying. Right. You know what I mean? Especially with you're saying like the color is more of like, um, it's not black and white. 
haha yeah it's more like the gray areas getting like (laughs) like the the details the minute nuances right and then like in the black and white scenes i feel like the score is very like direct and kind of villainy quote-unquote because you are from strauss's perspective and he's i mean more or less the villain against oppenheimer at least in this uh in this movie um but I think I'm gonna have to go with the the black and white because yeah. and I know like there's a lot of very a lot more important scenes in the uh in the color aspect of the movie, but I think that the black and white really or the black and white scenes really out out uh outline the movie. They kind of make everything whole and kind of helps bring everything together and helps us understand, like, especially from people's point of view that the audience might see as someone who is not moral. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, cause you know, I also pick the, the black and white scenes too. I mm-hmm. specifically like the whole quote unquote co- courtroom drama. Um, I think it's, like I said, the color stuff is like pretty linear in that way. I think if I have a nitpick about anything, I don't know how I feel about the Gene Tatlock scenes rather than mm-hmm. for them just to like round out the Oppenheimer character more, which I think is needed um, just to get a sense of like who he is, um, what his morals <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of how loosey-goosey he is with his uh, womanizing and yeah. um but yeah the the black and white scenes i think were pretty intense especially at the end cuz you don't get too many in the middle but mm-hmm. yeah it's primarily in the beginning i think the, the black and white sets up that like mystery and like oh what's happening where like where are we going how do we get there from uh from the color scenes and vice versa right okay I actually disagree with you on the Gene Tetlock scenes, but I'll I'll get into that uh, more mm-hmm. specifically later on. There's your teaser. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Teasing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this brings us to our audience question, our final audience question of season six. Um, and I, I feel like this really is a question for the three of us, but attention to all Christopher Nolan fans like ourselves. Uh, which moment or film made you a Christopher Nolan fan. Uh, Jacob, you're a guest. Uh, is there a movie or just a straight up moment within a film that made you an instant Christopher Nolan fan? You know, um, in terms of movie and I'm not sure if I'll be able to choose an exact moment from that movie, but for me, it was inception oh. because I mean, not only is it Christopher Nolan, and then you got a great cast there, but then you also have Hans Zimmer composing the score for that one, who is probably my favorite movie score composer, I'd say. And um, just that that whole movie, the way it's portrayed, the way that this whole story is told, and uh, obviously the practical effects that were put into play and the type of scenes where they use practical effects, for example, the hallway or the hotel scene uh, with uh, JGL trying to initiate a drop with zero gravity. That was just, uh, you're kind of on the edge of the edge of your seat. Even 
like 13 years you said right later of inception mm-hmm. and i'm still on the edge of my seat when i watch that movie because like the the score just does such a good job with you know making you feel like you're experiencing what they're experiencing and at the same time the way that the story is told where there's you have questions here and they get answered there or like you're not sure about this but then you figure it out later later being maybe on your 10th rewatch but (laughs) it's just there's so much to unpack that it's like it's like almost like a first watch every time you see it Mm. there's something new that you discover which helps put it into uh that category of being a timeless piece in my opinion Mm. can't argue with you there uh jeremy got a moment or film uh, okay, so I think the easy thing for me to like, or I'm gonna explain. I'm also gonna pick Inception, by the way. Um, it's not like the Batman Begins or the Dark Knight, just because I've always been a fan of Batman. But I think Inception was the movie that I became a Christopher Nolan fan, just right. because, like, for all the things that you said, Jacob, especially like the score, uh, his style of filmmaking. I think Cobb is still like Leo's character is still probably one of my favorite um, Nolan original characters just because like the dilemma of like, Oh, he wants to keep his wife's memory alive at the same time of, I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much just in case people haven't seen it. There's weird people that haven't seen this movie, (laughs) but um, yeah, it's just, the visuals, the layers, it's like a sci-fi heist movie. Mm. Uh, like it's, but it's still like grounded. It's not like all like futuristic. I think I, I like that type of genre for, for yeah. Nolan. I hope he would go back to it. This may be a hot take, but I want to say my favorite Nolan scene. This is not my answer, by the way. My favorite Nolan scene of all time may be the hallway scene, JGL fight scene. The first time yes. I saw that in the in the theater, my mind was just instantly blown. I saw that movie again this past weekend on a, my Nolan rewatch because I always do that with every Nolan uh, release. It still blew my mind. <laughs> You know, so, one yeah. of my favorite scenes, though, of Nolan, it's weird. Because, you know, like, when you're watching the movie, I would probably go with uh, the end when they complete the mission. And we, we know the, they're, play, they're, play, they're playing the song Time by Hans Zimmer. And they're all nodding to each other. Because when you watch that movie, it's like you can't breathe the entire time. So the music plus, like, the actors' reactions, all the characters... And then for it to end with the the totem is like icing on the cake. That's like, oh, (laughs) I want more of whatever. Who is this Christopher Nolan guy? Yeah. It still takes my breath away every time it's it's about to it looks like it's about to drop. (laughs) And then it just I just remember watching that in the theater the first time in 2010. Funny enough, it wasn't even in town. I was in Portland, I think. Or no, Vancouver, Washington, actually. And it took my breath away, and it still does to this mm-hmm. day. It's like, <gasps> and then the way it ends with that one note, ding. <laughs> it's- yeah, every time I uh, watch that movie and especially get to that scene, I'm always waiting for the time where I'll watch it and the, to- the top will stop spinning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to this day. Maybe on the I know how this ends, but it, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, uh, to quickly answer my own question, 
uh, uh, for me, it was Batman Begins as my first entry into Christopher Nolan. At the time, I was like, man, you know, the superhero genre. Eh. And obviously, remember Batman, the the the, <laughs> the superhero in terms of uh, theatrical releases is coming off the heels of <clears throat> our favorite, me and Jeremy's favorite Batman and Robin. We say mm-hmm. that very loosely. <laughs> um, so this is kind of re- uh, a, a reintroduction for Batman. So this isn't really even like uh like one of those mind blowing scenes. But I remember this the moment that I became a Christopher Nolan boy. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> it's it's a. I don't know, this may surprise you guys, but do you remember that one scene when fairly early on Bruce Wayne is still training with the League of Shadows, but he is breathing the blue plant and he's having to do do that training demonstration with mm-hmm. uh with Ducard? That whole distorted thing, I was like, wow, this is mind blowing to me in 2005. Damn. And that's when I knew that this was like this is a director that I have to go see everything. I knew early on. And then well, I didn't really. And then I think I watched Memento after that. And, um, and obviously Dark Knight came out uh, shortly, oh, a few years after that. So um, somehow I missed the prestige though, because, you know, streaming yeah. wasn't a thing back then. It was <clears throat> Netflix DVDs. <laughs> so, <laughs> or Blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I, I I was pretty early on with the Netflix DVDs. I started. Oh, okay. You can still get them. Yeah. No, they discontinued oh, they, uh, that. Yeah, right. Really? They discontinued. I, I thought I, I thought it's still there. It's still like an option for some reason. I think they're about to. It. it they decided to discontinue. I'm not sure when it will take into effect, but yeah, they got oh, okay. that. Uh, but yes, if you want to share with us your favorite moment or film that made you a Christopher Nolan fan, how can they uh, get back to us, Jeremy? Well, if they want to get back to us with a long email, they can actually email us at uh, weeklyrealpod at gmail.com. <laughs> not used to this. <laughs> <laughs> this. This new information is overwhelming. Yeah. But yes, guys, let's take a quick break. All right, let's go. Uh, Weekly Real Awards. Okay, here we go. Rienzen Award for Underrated Character or Underrated Scene. Jacob, you have first dibs. First dibs. I love it when I get first dibs. Nobody can take my answers. (laughs) Um, But I do feel that there will be a lot to choose from for this uh, because there are like a bunch of characters that had uh, especially, I'd say, pretty important roles, but you know, obviously, uh, Nolan had to pick and choose who to focus on because, I mean, going over the runtime that they had would have been pretty crazy. <laughs> um, but for my underrated character, I'm going to go with someone who isn't even given a proper name in the movie. He is known as Senate Aid. Oh, Han Solo. Dies. <laughs> yes, Alden. I'm probably going to butcher this last name, but Alden Aaron Reich. Is that right? Sounds, Sounds right. legit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, German speakers here. Yeah. Uh, I no, believe yeah, you. I think we're yeah. Good. yeah. 
<laughs> Han Solo. Yeah, it, it sounds right. He <laughs> yeah. dies. But um, basically, I chose him because I thought that he played a pretty crucial part in one of the most uh, important scenes of the movie, which I will point out to be when uh, Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, basically reveals himself to be the culprit behind Oppie going through his, uh, what is that? His trial or his denials, not trials. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. He was getting exactly. denied like his security clearance, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. But just, I liked him and uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s chemistry on scene. They seem to, you know, play off of each other's lines pretty well. And I thought that his uh, delivery on his lines were um, pretty good. Just, you know, I guess that's just, you know, when you're a good actor, you can deliver your lines pretty well. But uh, yeah, I just, I think he was obviously underrated because he wasn't even given a name. (laughs) Senate aide. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Mr. Han Solo, <laughs> aka Senate Aide, on that underrated character for the Jensen Award. I feel like they probably didn't name him just because you know he was like uh, probably a culmination of like a lot of character mm-hmm. or a lot of people in real life, probably. Oh, Rather than sense. you know making up a name, it's like people like search this guy into history books or whatever. Mm. But yeah, uh-huh. I agree. You know because. These actors have to make like use of their small screen time, and these actors exactly. have been, like led movies before, and so for him to like bounce off with Robert Downey Jr. primarily mm-hmm. is a like a huge task, and for him, especially at the end when everything's yeah. like crashing down for Stra- Strauss, 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 Strauss. He didn't want to say Strauss because he wants to He's like. Too- He's a lowly, um, a lowly shoe, shoe, shoe salesman. salesman. Yeah, just Ooh. a shoe salesman. <laughs> just a shoe salesman. <laughs> Setting the seeds, man, for that hatred. But yeah, I agree with uh, that. That little end part. It's like maybe he just wanted to do the right thing. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, do people always need a reason to do the right thing? Yeah, that was a good line. One of, one of the uh, actually the only quote that it shows for. Uh, Senate aide on IMDb <laughs> is <laughs> is uh, what he said to Strauss at the end um, after Strauss had found out that he was denied his uh, seat at the table, basically, where it says, is it possible they didn't talk about you at all? Is it possible they talked about something more important? Ooh, that, that was a good mm-hmm. line. Damn. So good. Obviously, regarding to uh, Einstein and Oppenheimer meeting at the pond, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you see it first in um black and white and so that's from you know more of strauss perspective and he has mm-hmm. his assumptions about what went on there um but yeah senate aide played a very great part that was an atomic bar- burn right there <laughs> <laughs> all right Ken. atomic burn <laughs> damn it jeremy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, my uh, winner for the Yinsen Award, I'm going to go with underrated scene. It's been a while since I've done the underrated scene type. I alluded to it earlier, um, only because it's also kind of getting some of the rounds in terms of the Oppenheimer Tetlock um, scenes, because now it's uh, we're, we're finding out that some of the sex scenes have been, um, I guess, censored in overseas <laughs> countries. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not even me- I'm not even mentioning the fact that you know we obviously did get some nudity on this and and, and but you get to see um certain big uh consequences to their scene. <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why you just paused like the way you did, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Dramatic effect. Dramatic, Dramatic effect. effect. Okay. <laughs> but laughing like a 12-year-old over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well the first scene that I kind of want to mention was obviously the fr- the first sex scene. But then mm-hmm. you get the whole Sanskrit um what do you call it reading or whatever and oh, that's yeah. basically where she makes him well she got off on the fact that he, he's like say these words and he's like i have the destroyer world <laughs> i'm like oh shoot that whole uh-huh. line i was like damn what a what a way to uh, introduce that line <laughs> um because that's where it actually originates from from that book second though was there's you know the story kind of keeps going and dude Freaking Oppenheimer, I just <laughs> takes a random detour, and by this time he's in the middle of the Manhattan Project, and he goes out of his way to just kind <clears> of <throat> relieve <clears throat> some, uh, some feelings, I guess. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, obviously, you know, Jeremy talked about him being a womanizer and everything, but the reason why this is such a big deal is obviously. The Manhattan Project, in Colonel Grove's own words, is like he wants this like compartmentalized. You know, it's a mm. it's a national security and everything. Obviously, the the World War Two is going on, but then you know, there's that whole communist Red Scare type thing going on in the background. So there's that whole, uh, we do we trust these allies that we have in the Soviet uh, in the Soviet Union, and so mm-hmm. for him. To want to get some poontang while he's being <laughs> monitored, it literally did not help his cause um, mm-hmm. in terms of keeping his national security. And I feel like that's the reason why I wanted to bring that up. Plus, right. I, plus I like Florence Pugh. She's a good actress. I can see that. I agree. Mm-hmm. They yeah, definitely- going off of uh, what you said, um, I say it was definitely tough for oppie at that time because so many of his friends and obviously his brother were part of uh unions that were basically known to be uh communist or secret communist parties mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um chevalier pretty much yeah <laughs> I just pretty much all the people that he knew outside of the manhattan project were somehow involved with uh you know one of those unions or with the communist party directly so uh, i can see how uh that would have obviously played a major major part in what ended up happening to him towards the end of his uh, his life and and the movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. All right. So for my under, I actually chose underrated scene, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna give credit to new rock stars on this one. Like Ken, like you said, we don't watch new rock stars as much just because we don't want to get spoiled. But I had to watch their like Easter egg stuff for this movie. Um, I'm going to go and it made me appreciate this scene even more is the cyanide apple scene mm. with his, um, professor at, I forgot where he was exactly. Uh, Cambridge, right? I think, yeah. Cambridge. I think so. And, and then Niels Bohr played by Kenneth Brana shows up and he's Sator. about to eat the apple. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 
And it's this thing where it's like um, they explain new rock stars. And I love like the parallels. It's basically like he creates this weapon, this this thing to kill someone that he immediately regrets it and runs back and tries to like undo it. Because as we can see later on, after they they test out the bomb and all that stuff, right away you can see he can see the writing on the wall, like something bad is going to be used like this isn't just like a scare tactic anymore mm-hmm. it's a, a yeah. it's a viable weapon and i thought right. like the acting of uh killian murphy and specifically um post bomb stuff mm-hmm. um was i think probably some of his best work so far oh that's a good one um, just to kind of piggyback off of that, because I do have an honorable mention. One of the scenes, remember, like uh, after Straws and uh, Oppenheimer, there was like uh, both a colored version and a black, mainly black and white version of. Remember when they were sitting at that big round table and they're talking about possible escalation and obviously Straws and uh, what was the name of the other scientist that was all about the H bomb? Um, oh, Teller. Uh, Teller. Teller. Yes. Um, that's basically the whole thing. Uh, just that whole realization by Oppenheimer that this is literally just going to just lead to further escalation and could mm-hmm. lead to the end of the world. And, uh, obviously Oppenheimer just thinking about all that. Uh, and you get to kind of be in his head for a lot of the, the whole remorse part of the thing or just kind of regret. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, that whole scene's an underrated scene also because then that's you we get to see that play out in both denials for both straws and uh and Oppenheimer with uh whatever it is that they were trying to get at the time. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh all right, our next award is the That Shield Doesn't Belong to You Award for most intense scene. There's this movie is like you're gripping your seat. <laughs> The entire time. Unlike the guy next to me who fell asleep. <laughs> well, it was 1 a.m. 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He fell asleep in the like, two-hour mark. I don't know. <laughs> Dropped his popcorn on the like, row in front of him, but whatever. You need another. You need a makeup for that screening, bro. I know, I do. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, so um, for the That Shield Doesn't Belong to You award, for most intense scene, obviously, like Jeremy said, this whole movie is pretty much one huge intense scene. (laughs) But um, I'm going to go with one that obviously you can choose from a few few of them, but I'm going to go with the scene where Oppenheimer is uh, speaking at the, what I think was like a rally, after the bombs had dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. And I think that that moment in time is not moment in time, but moment in the movie is like where it's really apparent that you see that Oppenheimer kind of realizes, you know, what his creation led to mm-hmm. and what like his actions, all his hard work that he put in all the money that went into that for the past, what was it like three years, I think, or two years that just went into, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of lives being taken to make a point basically. Um, And then 
obviously they had their reasons for creating the bomb and they have and uh, and then uh what i saw was that oppenheimer kind of took that moral complication upon himself right at that moment he started to realize and it started to click in his head uh, as you can see by his like hallucinations that he started to see during that time from the flashes the bright white flashes to the skin on that one girl's face just kind of melting and peeling off and blowing away and then especially when he's walking through the bleachers to get you know out the main door he steps into like a burnt corpse corpse yeah Mm -hmm. and then like then he realizes like yeah there's all these people that are celebrating but like at what cost you know and he kind of took that on his shoulders as being the father of the atomic bomb Hmm. Um, to add to that, because that was one of the ones that I kind of listed as well. Mm-hmm. I love the way Christopher Nolan shot that scene because obviously, you know, we kind of get glimpses of like the, the bleachers and everything uh, of that uh, speech that he makes after the Japan bombings. And mm-hmm. so we kind of get the glimpse, but then when he's talking, I love the fact that the audio cuts out when he's thinking, cause like right. he's at that point where it should be thunderous applause. He should be happy with their accomplishment. Cause mm-hmm. remember, this is, um, like a rally and kind of a celebration for all of the hard work that they put in. And it's essentially everyone from Los Alamos that's in attendance, um, over there during his speech. But again, to convey kind of like, Oh, did, uh, did I make a mistake or, you know, kind of shoulder on some of the consequences. He's saying some of these words and he's, you know, it usually it's like, Oh, you know, like the, the, the crowd reactions, but it just, yeah. he can't even hear it because then the audio kind of cuts out because he's in his own head. It's like, Oh shoot. Right. What the hell did I just do? I just killed. Like I was instrumental in killing hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. right and you can see it on his face too like as he's delivering those lines of like you know celebration and and accomplishment you can see it on his face like right after he finishes talking his face is like just like uh what am i looking for he's just shocked by by the amount of of guilt that he's feeling and all the things that are running through his head yeah it's almost like he doesn't believe what he's saying right now right exactly like he's thinking like what can i say to make these guys excited and Mm -hmm. stuff like that not really like what he's feeling internally but um another thing from that scene i don't know if you remember it or caught it but right when the sound cut out there was like a woman screaming Mm -hmm. and then right when that woman screamed and then the sound cut out and that's when it goes to like that really intense part and he starts hallucinating and stuff like that but yeah yeah, that's definitely a good one. How about you, Ken? Uh, I'm going to pick on some low-hanging fruit. I was surprised that uh, Jacob didn't um, partake in that low-hanging fruit. Because that <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, he's going to probably pick this one. I'll probably pick the uh, the speech post-bombings. And he mm. he zigged when I when I thought he was going to zag. Anyway, my winner for the <laughs> <laughs> Shield Doesn't Belong to You uh, award for most intense scene is the Trinity Test. Because of the way mm. it was just, I don't know. Something about countdowns, something about, like, obviously, we're here to watch a movie about an atomic bomb being made, and obviously, you know, uh, obviously, seeing what Oppenheimer 
had to live through and what all that all the circumstances were but we're at the main event it's essentially the end of the second hour i believe right um yeah when this does happen and uh first of all they set it up perfectly in that oh the, there's really no obstacles we just got to test it and all of a sudden <laughs> they got to deal with a shit ton of rain um mm-hmm. and only because both Frank, uh, what do you call Oppenheimer and his brother Frank know Los Alamos in that part of the area. It's like, okay, we know when the storm's going to break and we should be able to te- uh, do the Trinity uh, Trinity test before the Potsdam conference. And so we fast forward and everything's like being prepped and everything and people have their their looking glass or whatever so they don't get all blind uh from all the bright lights you get uh mm-hmm. what was it again uh the, the h-bomb guy i keep forgetting his name teller 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 he's got that big a lot of goop on his face yeah <laughs> it's like block really, or something so, yeah, i don't know what that was um i don't want to know <laughs> is it rubbed in yeah <laughs> it's something that I, I probably did when i was like a little kid just like put a bunch of like vaseline or baby oil or something like oh trying to anyway (laughs) i digress but kind of going back you get ludwig gornson's soundtrack oh my god Mm. but i was i don't know i was just in a cold sweat during that whole scene with the strings kind of frantically playing in the background and countdowns going on everyone's prepping and then when the explosion goes off and all you see is lights, but like absolutely no audio, it was breathtaking. Mm-hmm. And you get to see the different perspectives. And then I was like, huh, that's weird. There's no boom. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> it caught me off guard yeah. with that first explosion. And then obviously they, they showed the different perspectives. And my God, that was... Pr- probably my favorite scene of the movie maybe we'll see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we'll figure that out next award but yeah it was so good uh i have to mention because me and jacob are the the we were the prime demographic of the nickelodeon show drake and josh oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i have to mention yes that josh peck was uh involved primarily I, it's just like his only main scene where he's actually like saying stuff and he's like actually talking with Oppenheimer don't press it unless it's at the right level of whatever I'm like all right yeah. there you go Josh Peck and part of the <laughs> most important scene of the movie he, he was literally <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember but um before the actual Trinity test and this was like just a, a little bit before when um Oppenheimer and Rhodes, Colonel Rhodes were talking to each other. Uh, Killian Murphy, uh, aka Oppenheimer, said he looked down at his watch and said, uh, "In about one hour and fifty-eight minutes, you'll find out." And I checked my phone at that time, and I think he says that at the one hour and fifty-eight minute mark of the movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And you—you you meant. Uh, Groves, Groves, right? Not, not. Ro- oh, Groves, yeah. not Rhodes. <laughs> Ro- <laughs> Rhodes, not in this movie, Rhodes. even though Tony is. <laughs> yeah. Next time, baby. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Oppenheimer <Next> two <laughs> with uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes, Colonel Groves. Okay, Colonel um, Groves, not Rhodes. Yes, <laughs> Matt Damon, not Don Cheadle or Terrence Howard. Uh, <laughs> my most intense scene I want to pick. Oh, because because both of you guys chose mine, but I feel like another one that hit me pretty hard was when Oppenheimer found out that Gene uh, Tatlock died. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, it just like, it was like gut punch. Mm-hmm. And it just like, I felt like he just made um, freaking Oppenheimer like spin out of control. It's like, holy crap. I felt like that was pretty insane. Like, I just remember also the, the editing of like showing how Gene died. And I caught, like, I only watched it the one time, where there's one shot where it's like, um, she drowns herself. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's also, like, that one, like, one second or two second shot of, like, uh, a gloved hand uh, drowning her. And at first, I was like, oh, shoot. Are we going to explain that? And I didn't know that there was actually, like, a conspiracy theory on, like, who killed Gene Tatlock. And I thought, it's like, damn, I... You know, we don't, we'll, I guess we'll never know. Yeah. There's that, comp- go, like, going off that, um, when I saw that too, I was like very confused. But then in this, my second watch, I was like kind of trying to think about it more. And then I was thinking, like, oh, was it, are they saying that, um, what's his guy's, what's that guy's name? Casey Affleck's character? <laughs> oh, uh, hold on. Um, Colonel Posh. Oh, yeah. Right, like posh, that. and then he was, you know, they were giving some background on his, uh, on that character, and basically saying that, you know, he's like single-handedly or firsthand directly responsible for like killing communists with his bare hands, and obviously we know that uh, mm. Gene Tatlock was a part of the Communist Party, um, or one of the communist groups that were within the United States. And so I thought it was like maybe referencing that it was him that killed them or if it was like Oppenheimer hallucinating that like it was his fault that she died. And so he Mm -hmm. kind of imagined it being himself that drowned her. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I didn't know that there was that uh, conspiracy theory on trying to like, you know, who killed Gene Tatlock. But that is very interesting that they that Nolan portrayed it that way. Yeah, they he left mm-hmm. that purposely am, ambiguous because yeah, no one really knows. It could have been a suicide. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of the other conspiracy theories are that um, those that wanted Oppenheimer to finish his, uh, you know, the the Manhattan Project, it was basically people that didn't want him distracted, so they just uh, literally just tried to kill. Uh, they killed her to get him uh, focused back on the Manhattan Project. Or, again, it could be a communist conspiracy or something like that. There's so many different things that could have happened during that time. Right. Yeah, for sure. Now, I don't know if you were going to mention this, the part of uh, that scene that's pretty much related to that scene directly mm-hmm. uh, when um, Kitty Oppenheimer talked to uh, Oppie in the woods i thought that that was a pretty intense scene kind of like helping him come to terms with the consequences that come with his actions and both that being just for that context but also the context of creating the atomic bomb and you know the consequences that came with that so i thought that was a a pretty intense scene also 
that what was that one line which she, that she says when he's crying and she's like you don't get to play victim or whatever and big feels it was like uh you you don't get you to can't commit, a, commit the, yeah, sin and sin right and and make us feel pity make us pity you or something like yeah, that or play the victim or something like that yeah it, it, it was delivered so well by emily blunt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. butchered it <laughs> but, <laughs> no, <it's> all- <laughs> but that's pretty much what she was trying to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right let's move on to our not, not so last award but the avengers assemble award for favorite scene have you mentioned it already, Jacob? Have we mentioned it, or are you gonna brand new scene? I'm gonna go with a brand new scene. Uh, actually, I had this initially set as my underrated scene, but kind of going back, I think there was a better chance for me to put an underrated character and then put this as my favorite scene. Um, but it, it's called. It's basically like a favorite slash underrated scene. But I'm going with. Um, during the first hour of the movie, the montage for Oppenheimer when he's kind of staying in Europe, whether it's in um, near what's the first uh, university that he went to? Uh, Cambridge. Ber- Cambridge. Cambridge. And then he's also you know going around and he's seeing uh, some of the other scientists that are in the European continent. But I thought that the music and the story kind of came together perfectly there because the music was a little more fast paced and obviously it being a montage, it was fast paced too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminded me of in Batman begins um, Christian Bale's training scene with the league of uh, shadows. the league of shadows and uh, what's his name? Ducard. Uh, the guy from, <laughs> yeah. Liam Neeson. Um, Liam Neeson. I was about to say the guy from taken. <laughs> <laughs> You mean of all Liam Neeson movies. You mean Qui-Gon Jinn? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, that's I thought I loved the the score there especially. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, being able to see how this man started out, you know, learning just in school like the way that we did and how he kind of progressed to being smart enough to become the father of the atomic bomb. I, I find it funny how he also mentions that he's not the best in like math and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, even the smartest people in the world. <laughs> Thank <Exactly>. goodness. <laughs> even Einstein. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even Einstein. Um, but it was cool because it's like it's, it's like he's still like a visionary, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like assembling uh, right. a group of scientists to basically all support each other. Right. Uh, pretty cool too but um yeah when i think i mentioned this earlier to one of you guys but it's like when um oppenheimer was asking one of his students it's like oh you know is uh quantum physics a uh in quantum physics is light a particle or a wave i'm like i know this answer it's both i'm like the guy said both i'm like yes but he's like but it's not i'm like what (laughs) It's like, okay, whatever. I guess he's right at the same time. What do I know? <laughs> I just took basic physics. It's all right. That part was funny because he only had one pupil at the time. Yeah. yeah. And then it just kept building up. Like, yeah. as people, you know, words start to get around, like, this is the stuff that I'm learning in this class. Like, mm-hmm. just in the way that he was, you could tell that Oppenheimer was really like 
into that category of physics because he felt he seemed so passionate over uh, over just I mean teaching, which you know it's good to have passionate teachers, but obviously he was passionate and informed to an extent where it brought in from one student to like fifteen students. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, for me, my winner for the Avengers Assemble Award for favorite scene, I mentioned it a couple times already. Um, I was just like literally just trying to sabotage my own favorite scene, but I feel like this may arguably be the best ending of a Christopher Nolan movie. Maybe it's up there good, with good. Inception, I think. It's like one and one A. I'd have to go through the list. But anyway, the ending of a seemingly in just like inconsequential like <laughs> scene that they literally spoiled during the whole trailer, maybe both trailers <laughs> of freaking Einstein's hat just falling off near the pond. And it's like, oh, it's Albert Einstein. Oh, that's cool. Oppenheimer and Einstein <laughs> are just talking. And it's like a just a random like cameo or something like that. And it turns out it's like it's the dialogue that gets you well first of all it's something that straws thought that oh what did you what did they say what did oppenheimer say to einstein that's soured him on straws or whatever it just speaks to the ego of straws that they were Mm -hmm. (laughs) talking about him during this whole time and that's what you know we see it from his point of view in the beginning but later on at the very end, we find out that they don't give two shits about them. They're talking about like huge things. And um, the, the final basically conversation, the final exchange, while you know, you get the whole montage of uh, Oppenheimer receiving his award in the 60s from, was it President Johnson? Um, mm-hmm. And then you get to see uh, freaking Kitty just being a G and just like, I ain't shaking mm-hmm. your fucking hand. <laughs> Tell her, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, Kitty, you're so good." By the way, underrated scene too, because I mean, there's so many scenes that we could could have mentioned. Kitty during the trial, her trial, her witness trial, mm, so mm. good. Uh, Loved it. Emily Loved Blunt, it. so good. Um, but kind of going back, Oppenheimer mentioning this to Albert. He goes, "Albert, when I come to you with those calculations, and this is back when he, they came to, when he he came to visit and." was like, hey, you know, like uh, when you thought that you might, uh, that we might start a chain reaction that might destroy the entire world. And then Einstein goes, I remember it well. What of it? And these four words end the movie. It's like, I believe we did. And he's not even just talking about the actual bomb, but like literally the escalation, the chain reaction. And then mm-hmm. it just transitions into like the rockets and like the visuals of like just the world ending and everything i was just like what the heck did i just watch seriously because obviously um you if when you do watch oppenheimer you know understand that when they first blew up or did the trinity test there was a near zero chance Mm -hmm. that it would start a chain reaction and just ignite the entire atmosphere, yeah. which would obviously result in the whole world just burning up. Yeah, what do but, you want from theory alone? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just kept saying that. The way that like you understand that that didn't happen, but it still did happen mm-hmm. in a way, because you know, just you know, like Prometheus, you gave man a way to 
destroy itself and yeah. you really don't know what could happen because of the amount of people you know politics and how international relations it's just there's so many factors that go into something like that where it's just so unstable and unpredictable because ever yeah. since then yeah ever since <laughs> escalation um <laughs> ever since then it's just like you know because this isn't that far in the past when you think about it freaking like 70 80 years ago it's like mm -hmm. now ever since that the creation of the atomic bomb it's like there's that question who has it who still has like who has the options to make one it's mm -hmm. like everyone's like constantly living in fear that someone one day is gonna like send another one flying i think right is that that fear that that oppenheimer will like basically that he created since i think he especially time. had a certain level of sensitivity to that living in you know the time of hitler and the holocaust mm -hmm. and him being jewish he knows how how powerful and how ruthless and power hungry uh politicians at the highest level can be mm -hmm. so it's like he really kind of understood that there's just no way to predict if what he did is going to cause the world to end. Right? Yeah, because like like you said, like just willy-nilly, like mankind, humankind is just like like that one scene where the guy's like, oh, where should we use the atomic bombs? Like, the, oh, we can't mm -hmm. use that Kyoto. That's where I go uh, vacation and all that stuff. I'm like, holy right. crap. These guys are cold, and it's like yeah. Like at first, he mentions the the cultural aspect too. So you're like, oh, okay, he's taking that into account, and then he's like, well, really, it's because <laughs> we spent yeah. our anniversary there. That's like holy crap. That's horrible, and just the fact that later on it's revealed that the, there's fallout. There's not just the right, not just the initial bombing, but mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of people die and. Future generations um, too. Future affected. generations affected. Oh yeah, all that stuff is exactly is insane to Ooh. think about the yes. ethics of this movie. Um, but yeah, in my choice for the Avengers Assemble Award, I'm just gonna go like reiterate the the testing of the Trinity bomb yeah. or Trinity scene. I'm just gonna like the the intensity of that. It's the longest 10 seconds of my life. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's like the, the setup. I thought someone was, I thought an accident might happen. But yeah, that scene, it, it did not let me down from, because that's where it's like, you know, Tom Cruise, when he's freaking promoting Mission Impossible and the stunts and stuff, they were promoting uh, Christopher Nolan's capture of the atomic bomb. So, and right. this, this didn't disappoint. Yeah, one thing that that uh, scene reminded me of, uh, there's a roller coaster in Florida, and you've probably seen videos of it online, but basically right before you go on the first drop, it kind of stops you. <laughs> so you're kind of just like there facing straight down. And at that moment, when the bomb goes off and it's just silent, like Ken said, both watch both the viewings that I had, I got goosebumps in both both of the in those that scene. And mm -hmm. I was just like, it's just like, oh my goodness. You're just amazed that the, not only, you know, it's the Trinity test, they just successfully detonated an atomic bomb, but the fact that Nolan was able to recreate 
as best he could that explosion. And the first time I watched it, the explosion didn't look too big, honestly, in my head. But then I was like, well, the closest outpost is 10,000 yards away. (laughs) Yeah. that, that That must be huge. Yeah, they have to be hella far. Yeah, and even um, on that scene, you know, when the first uh, shockwave hits the 10,000-yard outpost, which is where Oppie was, and, um, you know, that's where they detonated the bomb from. And then, like Ken said, like both of you mentioned, how they switch perspectives to the other outposts that are, like, fifteen and 20,000 yards away or something like that. Um, when it goes back to the 10,000-yard outpost where Oppie is, they're still feeling the shockwave mm-hmm. at that point. And who knows how many minutes or seconds has gone by and they're still feeling, you know, the power of what they just created. Yeah. And when Oppenheimer like took off his, his goggles, I was like, Oh, it's too bright still, man. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. You're bold. It's still the white light. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like, it just went off. You're going to take it off even before the sound sound wave hits. Damn. Yeah. All right, guys, this is the end of the season, and we are in a tight game of Guess the Run Tomato Score. I mean, right now, Guess can't pull out a full-on win, but they can help me retain the belt. (laughs) Um, Right now, the score is Ken is at 30. I'm at 27, and the Guests are at 19. So, in, in order... For Ken to win, he just needs to score anything mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And for me to retain the belt, because a tie helps is, you know, a tie. You have to beat the champ mm-hmm. in order to take the belt. I can still retain the belt if I tie with Ken. That means I need first place. To, to quote the nature boy, Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here we go. Season finale. Guess around tomato score, Jacob. What is your guess? My guess for Oppenheimer 2023 is a whopping fresh 95%. (laughs) 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 Jeremy. Uh Okay, me and Jacob won't tie. We have different scores. I went fresher than he did. 97%. 97%. Oh. 97. Really? Okay. Oh, okay. This this sucks because my guess is also 95%. Oh, There's still a chance you win cuz <laughs> you just got to beat me then. That's that's that very true. works. That's very true. Oh, the stage is set, man. The Damn, this sucks. The stage is Somebody set. count me down. No, I'm just kidding. Ten. <laughs> Ten. No. All right. Nine. <laughs> All right. Here we go, guys. I have the score for Oppenheimer 2023. The tomato meter with 350 two reviews it is at a 90 4 percent he got it and, and still 
the guest of Rotten Tomato score champion of the world. <laughs> that is awesome. Dude, what great. the? So, to end the season, <laughs> me and Ken tie <laughs> at 30 points. And I guess, he, wait, does guests get the full points, They get the right? full three, yeah. Because they, they get the full three. for first. Let's go. So, so they get 22, and that's it. That's that's probably one of the closest endings. Well, I don't think we ever. I don't tied. think. I don't. I don't think you get closer than tied. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you get a three-way tie. <laughs> that would be crazy. Oh. So wait, if it was a ninety-four, okay. Yeah. No, you're right. Man, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. If Damn. I if I would have guessed ninety-three, uh, ninety-three, then yeah, we would have t- straight up tied. But then I would have won because I would have yeah. gotten. A point. That's right. insane. Congrats, Jeremy. Thank, thank you, Jacob. Jacob, holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't die, <laughs> holy crap! That's insane. Hey, the the universe uh, is aligned. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Jake, we're on a. That was crazy. That was crazy. That's crazy. All right, last award of the night: <laughs> the I Love You Three Thousand Award. Or we rate the movie from one to three thousand. Jacob, are you giving uh three thousand? No, I'm just kidding. That's Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, honestly, Barbie. But um this quite possibly could be my highest rated movie of um the I Love You three thousand award. And just because it's high rated it doesn't mean that it's like my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. But because there are three thousands over there, <laughs> exactly there are exactly. though seriously. And to be honest, I was taking a look at some of the movies that I did uh, do before, like some of the old outlines I had and what I had those rated, and they may have to be adjusted according. That's to a slippery slope. Don't do that because <laughs> me and Jeremy have done that. And we're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I feel like I'm a, I'm a seasoned guest star here on. The weekly real podcast but mm-hmm. to move past that get to my score i gave it a 2880 out of 3000 which puts it at a 96 mm. percent okay that's high ken um that's not as high as my score did i give it oh. my first i love you 3000 of course not <laughs> 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 but so far oppenheimer only because Jeremy, I think I've mentioned this to you numerous times, not just in general, but especially for Christopher Nolan movies. The second screening is this absolute sweet spot for Christopher Nolan movies. I have seen it two times. It is my current front runner for movie of the year. I'm giving Oppenheimer a 2940, 98%. Dang. It just for sheer scope, um, the vision uh, of and genius of Christopher Nolan, the cast, the score, yeah. everything, the the writing. Uh, we didn't mention the writing. The writing is so mm-hmm. good in this. It, it's like a million miles an hour. And I know that when I eventually watch it a third or fourth time, I will catch new things. <clears throat> right. Yeah, man. I definitely got to watch it a second time. I told you my experience in the movie theater. 
Um, I'm giving it a 2640 out of 3000, lower, 88%. But, you know, I think that's primarily because I've only watched it the one time. And it's incomplete. <laughs> Let's be <Yeah>. honest. <laughs> Seriously. I missed a lot of the movie because of the freaking guy next to me that, you know, freaking chowing down, falling asleep. You got sleep apnea? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you <laughs> freaking. JJ Reddick and Stephen A. Smith yeah. just clanning on perk. Shout out to first take. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's move over to our final thoughts on Oppenheimer. Um, well, first of all, actually, uh, where does Oppenheimer rank among your favorite Nolan films? You can go top five, top ten, whatever you want. Uh, Jacob, you want to handle this first? Yeah, I'll take a shot at this uh, top five list. Uh, this was very, very a rough draft on this list because probably going to have to rewatch some, if not all, of the Nolan films to kind of get a real idea. Um, and just to let you know, I'll, I'll go into this after I give you my list. Never mind. But starting at number five, Oppenheimer. Ooh. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Yes, yes. Number five. Because, um, like I mentioned to the guys earlier, I think that a lot more goes into, or a lot, yeah, a lot more goes into ranking your favorite Nolan films than just how good the movie was. And while- For sure. Yes. Oppenheimer was a good 96% for me. Uh, there's just other movies that carry a, a certain nostalgia with it. Mm. But with you moving more. on, <laughs> right? Right? That's what I'm saying. Moving on to number four, I have Inception. <gasps> wow, that's so low, bro. <laughs> right? It Damn, is, right? What the hell's going Man. on? Okay. Like I said, it's a very rough draft. Uh, we might revisit this later. But no, but you we'll know see. what? I, I bet you your top three it's still so good. Yeah, <laughs> gonna blow it out of the park. Exactly. Number three, Tenet. <gasps> wow, I feel like that's a hot take. I think that is right. a hot take, right? But I just, oh, man, I, I love that movie, and I need to watch it again to fully understand it. And even then, <laughs> I still not fully understand it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so that, much uh... sense. I just recently watched Tenet, by the way. And yes, I feel How like I picked the, uh... up some new things. <laughs> How was the audio mixing on that? Could you understand what people were saying? Yeah, because I had <laughs> subtitles on. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So that was number three. Going to number two. This could also be a hot take. Dark Knight rises whoa, whoa. That, that is a hot take that but you know what yeah, I think... knowing how much you love rise the song uh-huh. <laughs> makes so right. much sense yeah yeah rise. honestly rise this that's the, just... from albert einstein rise yep he's uh before he was albert einstein he was a prisoner in the famous prison that bane was held in yeah the pit <laughs> The Pits, that's what it was called. All right, so that was number two, Dark Knight Rises. Moving on to number one, Interstellar. Yeah. Wow, Damn. the Dark the Dark Knight's not in your top five? Or Batman Begins? Wow. That's pretty insane. <laughs> Honorable right. mention, though, Dark Knight is number six. <laughs> wow. That's hot you know, take of the year. Dude, like, I felt like my skin kind of burned off. Yeah, holy crap. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Jake. 
We had to w- you just witness an atomic bomb or what? Yeah, seriously. atomic take. That was uh, holy crap. But I think Oppie might move. Sorry, Oppenheimer <laughs> might move down to six <laughs> for Dark Knight. Uh-huh. That's how. <clears throat> even though I, obviously, like I said, Oppenheimer was a ninety-six percent. Dark Knight is just way blown the- way out of the park. I think what's crazy is that Tenet is that high compared to yeah. Dark Knight. Yeah, <laughs> ah, I see. Or Inception. Or Inception. Or Dark Knight right, Rises. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, I think we... Okay, that makes things interesting. Woo. All right. Rough well. draft. Very rough. Ken, you want to you do yours? I'll do a quick top 10. Um, actually, I did a rough draft just like Jacob. I'm already going to amend my list that I created in like two minutes. Uh, 10. Even though it's technically amazing, the cinematography is great. I just, it's kind of hard to kind of uh, identify with certain characters. I think that's why I didn't really connect with it. 10, Dunkirk. 9, Tenet. 8, The Dark Knight Rises. 7, Memento. 6, The Prestige. Five, Batman Begins. I told these guys, <gasps> no matter what, Batman Begins Only is always five? in my top five. Damn, that's insane. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> no matter what. Higher. No. Bet, well, because I have Oppenheimer at four, just because of the sheer scope of everything, mm-hmm. it's going to be really tough to break my holy trinity <laughs> of the, yeah, pause for dramatic effect, uh, of uh, Christopher Nolan movies. I have Interstellar at three, The Dark Knight at two, and Inception at one. Mm. Ooh, yeah. I don't blame you. Those are all good ones. Crap. Yeah, I'm going to let you guys know after I do my Nolan rewatch what my actual top five is. (laughs) (laughs) And you got to watch The Prestige. Um, Jacob has not seen that yet. Um, I need to see, because there's 12 Nolan films. I haven't seen Following, which is the first Nolan film. film, And then I haven't seen Insomnia yet. So my list is Mm. technically incomplete as well. Yeah. I watched the same as Ken, so uh, my honorable mention, my number six, I guess, would be Memento. Mm, yes. I thought the storytelling is very unique. Um, number five, Interstellar. Mm. Uh, we got number four, The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Whoa, okay. The fire rises. The fire, <laughs> yes. <laughs> then at number three. <laughs> oh, you think dark is I was born in it. Okay. <laughs> you merely adopted it. Uh, number three, Inception. <laughs> then number two, Batman Begins. Number one, The Dark Knight. I think just The Dark Knight was probably like my favorite movie experience of all time. Mm. I, I got lost to watching that movie in theaters. Like, we saw I saw it together. No... That was our first viewing, right? I think so. Yeah, I did not like. I had no semblance of time or the world around me because I was <laughs> completely entranced in that movie. Yeah, it was pretty insane. Yeah, this was before we started talking that. movies, so he was still really young. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. I was uh, like freaking twelve. Twelve. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, this was in. July. But not too young to understand. <laughs> oh, he knew what he liked. He loved Batman. <laughs> yeah, I knew I liked Batman, so that's all that mattered. That's true. Oh, shoot. Uh, all right. Any other final thoughts? Anything that we missed on Oppenheimer? Speaking of Batman, 
especially The Dark Knight <laughs> Rises, the JFK name drop. Uh, who was it mm. that mentioned? Was it uh, Cameron who mentioned it? <laughs> I had yeah. to, I had to yeah. let uh, Cameron give him the props. He was the one who was like, hey, didn't that uh, J, uh, JFK name, name drop sound like a uh, name? Oh, I like your name. You should use it more often. <laughs> Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very much so. It's like it's like the same cadence, same like angle, almost like a uh-huh. like they're both a dub, yeah. you know, post production. Well, it's a senator. Yeah. It's a senator. Uh, John F. Kennedy. <laughs> Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. John know. Kennedy. I forgot what they. Yeah, I forgot. What I remember they did. They didn't say JFK or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. That's a good freaking Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Cameron. <laughs> Makes the music for us. Yeah, he does. He's he is our Ludwig Gornson slash um Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Anything else? Or do we like I feel like we covered everything, guys. We covered a good chunk of that three hour movie. Josh Hartnett, yeah. shout out to him. <laughs> Yeah, he did a good job. Yeah. Pearl Harbor was waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Left shit. Ben Affleck behind. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> special- but Ben Affleck's brother was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> special shout out to Commissioner Gordon, aka Harry Truman, for calling uh, Oppenheimer a crybaby. <laughs> yeah. I almost thought it was going to be Michael Caine <laughs> cameo. Yeah. I was like, how is he going to be Truman? <laughs> oh. Jeez. I did not know that was him. That was yeah, him. Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah, Gary Oldman. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron did mention, though, that uh, if Michael Caine was to make an appearance, it would be as Winston Churchill. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking Cameron. By the way, it's only because I did my... Uh, I'm mostly through my Nolan rewatch. Uh, Killian Murphy uh, was actually... <laughs> He, he has a doppelganger. He was also in World War II on that uh, ship, and he accidentally killed that kid in Dunkirk. <laughs> oh, Oppenheimer. That's very true. <laughs> you should not be Kill here. George. You should not be. You should be at home. You should be at home. Is he going to be okay? <laughs> I lo- by the way, number 10 is really high yeah. still. I love Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All of them are good, man. Yeah, I think I think people need to realize that, like, all of Nolan's movies are probably going to be like eighty-five plus. Yeah, I know. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and it'll just kind of vary on your how you feel that day, or which one you just recently watched. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, four of my top five movies, I like recency bias. I rewatched <laughs> those fairly recently. <laughs> there you go. Except for Inception, but you know that's just always going to be in the top five. Should be always top three, honestly. Man, Inception, man. Reminds you of high school for some reason. Anyway. <laughs> Dude, I was rocking that soundtrack the, 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 all four years. <laughs> uh-huh. I believe it. Especially on those long train rides. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why, you're waiting for a train. <laughs> That's how Caltrain felt, honestly. <laughs> Did you put your ears to the freaking rail? <laughs> some days you wanted to. <laughs> Oh, all right. Anyway, on that dark and depressing uh, note, <laughs> Ken, what are we doing next week? Well, I mean, this is the season finale. 
uh, of season six of the Weekly Real podcast. But next week, we will officially close out season six of the Weekly Real podcast as we hand out our RKO Awards out of nowhere in a special edition of the Newsreel as we wrap up season six. And so, yeah, always looking forward to that show. We get to kind of reminisce over the last 17 weeks. Yeah, it's insane how many movies we talk about sometimes, multiple movies in an episode. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff to to, to recap, and that'll be next week. But Ken, just uh, I guess quickly, did you have a favorite moment from season six as we close out? (laughs) Yeah, it's actually, I mean, we're, what, on episode 110? Um, It was fun revisiting uh, Dumb and Dumber uh, (laughs) during our Mm. reloaded episode. Uh, episode good. 100 uh, that it, it that movie just holds a special place in my heart i know it holds a special place in your heart considering it's the only i love you 3000 movie that you've given mm-hmm. um i don't know just it it uh it's got a nostalgia factor and i feel like we could do it a re-reloaded if we really wanted to <laughs> <laughs> but uh stay tuned for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was fitting to make that our episode one hundred as well. Uh, my favorite moment from season six <laughs> is a little bit funny. In um, has to be when our guest Andrea realized what happened <laughs> in Suzume. <laughs> that it was all based on uh, real life events. <laughs> Not based on, but you know, like real life events were integrated into the movie. And her realization was is something you cannot fake. So go listen to that episode on Susume. Yeah, it was like an hour and ten, hour and fifteen into the movie. Like during our final thoughts, she actually came to realization <laughs> that literally what she watched was all a lie. Not really a lie, but she just totally misunderstood like parts of yeah. the like the main part of the movie <laughs> yeah the, like the message of the you know closure and everything like that of the entire movie yeah yeah that was that was pretty gold she's like i'm gonna change my score <laughs> <laughs> so go go revisit that uh, shout out to andrea uh we love you here at the weekly real <laughs> podcast oh shoot all right ken so we also have some things to talk about in terms of uh what's going to be happening during our hiatus yeah well we have like an announcement obviously you know we're recording this in late july on the 25th uh the sag aftra and the um and the writers guild of america they're still striking right now we we want to obviously i don't i don't think it's controversial to say we stand with them we feel like not only do they deserve more pay but the whole ai issue it's pretty crazy. We're fans of uh, Terminator, the you know the franchise, and I mean, last week we talked about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning with the entity and everything. Spoiler for that uh, movie. Uh, but to for these movies, movie studios to want to eventually cut costs in perpetuity to use AI to get actors likenesses Mm -hmm. to use forever is just completely wrong i hope that the movie studios uh are willing to at least negotiate in good faith to come to some sort of agreement that works for 
all parties involved uh, with uh, the Screen Actors Guild and the uh, and the Writers Guild of America to come to some sort of agreement that will benefit everyone's families and everything because there's enough money to be made out there. Um, we, they just need a bigger piece of the pie. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so we will stand with them. We will be on an indefinite hiatus this time. Um, it also kind of works out since Jeremy's got this whole um, transition with his own personal career as well. Um, I, for me personally, I would love to kind of do some other creative things. Um, but you know what? This is not a goodbye. By no means, we will be back. So really, the best thing that we want to say is follow us on the social medias. Right, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely post uh, as much as we can on our socials, Instagram, TikTok, to be up to date with us there. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. So everything's just kind of lining up the way it is. And so, uh, yeah, more, pa- more power, more money. Um, just give, just give, <laughs> give it to the, all the entertainers. Jeez. They, they, they're artists and they need to be able to co- be compensated. We love what they do here at the weekly real podcast without them. The this podcast would not exist for sure. For sure. Yeah. We just want quality movies. And so, and you know, quality pay for, for those working hard to provide, you know, us entertainment. All right, Jacob, we're, uh, we're about to close out the episode. Do you, any, do you have anything to plug for our audience? Where can they find you? Well, you can find me pretty much on any social media platform at Fashoje. I don't post much, but I do post a little. So if you don't mind, uh, Hitting that follow button, that would be great. And, and slip into his DMs too, especially for all yeah. of you uh, High School Musical uh, fans out there. You don't <laughs> think I forgot about that? That was actually one of my uh... other favorite movie <laughs> <laughs> moments of season six, High School Musical <laughs> three. Wow, so fun! By the way, I saw a commercial for High School Musical four: The Reunion. What? No way. Do not play with my emotions. No, I, I'm not. I will uh, send that to you over on Instagram so you can take a look. I'm cool. not sure if it was a part of the High School Musical the musical series, High School Musical 4 reunion, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they did, you know, they brought in a few actors for the promotional aspect of the, or the promotional video that they released. So, oh, okay. Um, it's not really clear what it's going to look like officially, but yeah, I'll send that to you guys. You can take a look and uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. Like, sounds like a future episode once the strike is over. <laughs> <laughs> strike is over. Uh, for me, uh, like, oh, yeah. sorry, for me, uh, with uh, plugs, I spaced out just for a second. I was thinking about High School Musical 4. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me across all the platforms, uh, mainly Instagram. Uh, that's usually where I post uh, mostly. At free Ken A. Yep. And for me, JP underscore flicks on Instagram. Go uh, check it out. All right, Jacob. No three Pete for you, unfortunately, just because we have the end of the season. I'm sure if we had another week or so, we would have done like Barbie and have you on a guest. Or we could just watch Prestige for you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Reloaded. Um, (laughs) Reloaded. (laughs) Reloaded. 
I don't know, all the other Nolan movies we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, fitting that we have all our uh, Nolan boys in the house <laughs> <laughs> to talk about Oppenheimer. So thank you, Jacob, for, for coming in and talking on the show. Yeah, good times again, Jacob. No problem. I do want to share one of my favorite moments from season six, though, if you guys don't mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. go for it. Perfect. So um, it was on the podcast of Transformers Rise of the Beasts, uh, a movie that's actually streaming now on Paramount Plus. If anybody out there wants to see that and then listen to the podcast, not sponsored, because for me, I listen to the podcast and then I will now watch the movie. (laughs) 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 My my favorite part was when you guys revealed that uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie yet, probably turn off the podcast right now. But that the G.I. Joe are now part of that Transformers universe. I was mm-hmm. like, what? I was sitting in my car <laughs> on my way to work, listening to the podcast. And I was like, there's no way. But uh, I- I'm glad that I got to experience that for the first time, listening to the podcast instead of watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> if that ain't high praise for the Weekly Real podcast, I don't know what is. Thanks, yeah, Jake. It's- <laughs> of, course, like, of course. Listen to the podcast and don't watch the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just imagine exactly. it I gotta... through our through our voices. Uh, Wait, sorry, and you still haven't seen the movie yet, right? Nope, not oh, yet. You... But yeah, I haven't seen it yet. But like I said, <laughs> I did find out today that it's streaming on Paramount Plus. <laughs> yeah, go go watch it. Then you'll see the moment that we're talking about. <laughs> That's Definitely. That is too good. All right, guys. And, uh, oh, congratulations yeah, on uh, making it to the end of season six. Ooh. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we couldn't have done it without guests. Such as yourself, Andrea, Michael, mm-hmm. Joe Ash, obviously family. AJ. I gotta do family. <laughs> AJ. <laughs> yes. I gotta do it at least one more time this season, Damn right? <laughs> I guess so, of course. <laughs> and uh obviously Francis as well. He joined us during our um what movie what movie was that? That was uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Yep. I believe. So I mean, dude, our guests are amazing. Y- y'all take time out of your busy schedules uh to just talk about stuff that we like we just like talking about movies and shooting the shit really <laughs> yep yeah and the guests gave me the win thank you jacob yeah, see there you go you're welcome <laughs> on behalf of all the guests this season <laughs> <laughs> all right guys that's it for season six six seasons in a movie that's what we're saying that's community reference by the way uh but yes six seasons Season six is up, and we'll see you next time on The Real. Ha, ha, ha.